guys, this is Mark Potter. Welcome to another episode of Brushstrokes, a podcast powered by Canvas Magazine. Guys, today's episode is brought to you by our organization, Conduit Incorporated. Visit www.conduit-inc.com for all your custom content needs. Today, content is overwhelming us in many respects. There's a lot of noise in the digital space. There's a lot of noise overall and a lot of people dictating narratives. We believe in authentic, real stories. We believe that creating content is a wonderful way to talk to your clients. It's a wonderful way to build trust and in fact, create leads. So again, check us out at www.conduit-inc.com for all your custom content needs. Guys, today's conversation is a really, really cool one. As you all know, our industry is always kind of looking at either merging or selling their businesses, buying businesses, and there's an author by the name of Michelle Seiler Tucker who wrote a book called Exit Rich. The 6P Method to Sell Your Business for Huge Profit. And I saw this book and I got an advanced copy and I was really taken with it because it really wasn't just a blueprint for selling your business. It was more of a mindset of how to run your business and keep an eye on growth opportunities. She delves into the objective nature of valuing your business. She goes through some of those critical points. And she also talks about the type of buyers that you might be looking for. But most importantly, she talks about the mindset of how to run your business. It's kind of amazing some of the facts that she shares with us. So I think you're really going to like this conversation. And um, it's going to help you in this kind of turbulent time, get your mind right. So without further ado, give a listen to an excerpt of my conversation with Michelle Seiler Tucker, author of Exit Rich. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm uh, I'm hanging in. You know, hanging in the okay. world. Uh, hopefully, um, we got better things on the horizon going forward. You know. It's been uh, been a weird, weird stretch, huh? It has. It's been a weird year. I think we're all ready to get rid of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I, Bring in 2021. <laughs> 100%. 100%. 100%. So, I mean, everything's been weird from, you know, COVID to the election to hurricanes. I mean, we're still having hurricanes in November, which is very unusual. I know. I know. Now, you're in New Orleans, right? I am. I'm in New Orleans. We have five... I think Bob Hurricane hit us this year in oh Louisiana. My, oh my gosh! Yeah, it's I don't know. It's just a weird time, but you know maybe uh, we push through this and we're better on the other side. And and uh, you know your book I think is actually kind of timely because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are thinking about uh, uh, selling their business and and uh, and moving on or doing some some other stuff. So um, I you know I'm super super excited to talk to you about it and and. Um, find out a little bit awesome. of, yeah so um so michelle tell me tell me um 
Give me, give me the four one one. I, you know, I read a lot of it. I haven't finished yet. I'm really kind of smitten with it. I think it, it's, it's, uh, it's really good. And quite honestly, some of the stuff up front is pretty cool. I and mean, talking a little bit about you working for the man, so to speak, and then figuring, well, wait a minute, I'm going to go off and do this by myself. So uh, I thought that was interesting because I, I kind of did the same thing where I was working for a big organization and. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, maybe I should go off and, and do this. So that entrepreneurial mindset uh, took me over. It sounded like it happened to you, but now you're even helping entrepreneurs on a different level. So is it is it okay to ask you a little bit about, uh, you know, your history, your background, what uh, how you got to this point? Of course. So you have the book. You've been. So you, do you have the book? You've been reading the book. I have. I have. I got the uh, so that you guys sent me a little uh, preview, and um, and so I was reading through it and and thought. Was it, was it the actual, I don't know what I don't know what Elena sent you. Was it the actual book or is it just some excerpt? It's no, it's PDF. It's PDF of the book and and oh, um, PDF. Yeah. Elena must have sent that, huh? Yeah, so it's okay, fan, cool. it's yeah, so it's it's really good and um, because it's not just so, about that's what <laughs> Yeah, because it's and it's important and it you know the thing that struck me or is striking me about it is that it's not just. Um, you know, boilerplate, here's how you sell your business kind of deal. It talks a lot about mindset. And so that's why I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, you and, and uh, how you got to this point. Sure. Go ahead. I'm ready when you are. Ask away. Well, tell me. I mean, so give me give me a little of the 411 on your background and how, um, how uh, uh, Michelle came to be, so to speak. Sure. So... Um, I, you know, I was never, I always say that I was never your typical child. <laughs> I never really played with toys. I never played with dolls. Um, I would always walk around with a notebook and a pen, and I would walk up to strangers and ask them, uh, you know, a million questions. I really was curious about people, and I was just, you know, always, I was a people person, and I always wanted to know you know, what people do, what makes them tick, what are they like, what are they not like. And my mom always thought I was going to be the next Barbara Walters because I like to talk to people and I like to interview people and I like to write. Right. <laughs> so I, I did not become the next Barbara Walters, but at any rate, you know, I, I always did. I always liked to write. I, I used to write lyrics and poems and short stories, and I've written three books and a chapter in Think and Grow Rich. And I've got probably about six or eight more books in me. Plus, I want to write a children's book. So I've always, I've always liked writing. Yeah. Um, and then I've always liked entrepreneurship. I've owned different types of businesses. I've owned publishing businesses, magazines, event businesses. At one point, I even owned a wedding magazine. Oh wow! And um, and then I got kind of got sucked up into corporate America, where I was. Um, working for Xerox. Actually, Xerox recruited me from OSE because they couldn't beat me. <laughs> so every time we would go to a client's office on a sales call, I'd walk in, I'd, I'd meet with my clients, and I would walk out and I would see Team Xerox, and there would be six men in suits and donuts and everything else, and it was just me. Yeah. But they never beat me. Xerox never beat me once with right. OSE. So actually, the the gentleman that was working for Xerox at the time went to school with my husband, 
And he started talking to my husband. They went out to lunch, and he's like, yeah, there's this girl that keeps beating us no matter what we do. And he goes, who's that? And um, and um, I, I believe his name was Bill. And Bill says, her name's Michelle. Michelle what? Michelle Tucker. And he goes, Michelle Fowler Tucker? And um, Bill goes, yeah. And, and my husband goes, that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's so anyway, awesome. they ended up recruiting me from OSA. I had a non-compete, so they had to put me in a specific industry. So um, the company wouldn't come out after the non-compete. And um, I, my nickname at Xerox was the closer. So when anyone couldn't sell, you know, close a client, they would call me. And I say, call, call the closer. She'll get it done. <laughs> so I was at Xerox for about six months, and then um, my, my, my supervisor came to me and said, Michelle, you need to try out for regional manager. We're you know, um, looking for a regional manager. The, the person in that position is moving, moving up. And you'll never get it, but you should apply for it. And I'm like, what do you mean I won't get it? She goes, well, you haven't been here long enough. You've only been here six, year, six months. And there's people that have been here six years, you know, ten years that are going to also interview for the position. And I said, well, if I'm not going to get it, why should I interview for it? That right. makes no sense to me. And she said, because of the experience. She goes, you're going to learn so much going through this process. And she was right. I went through the process. It was a three-month, very grueling process. And meeting with several um, um, VPs of Xerox, uh, demonstrating copiers, all this stuff. And I ended up getting it. Wow. I ended up beating everybody else that had been at Xerox for years. And, you know, these people were my friends. Well, after I beat them, they then, you know, looked at me as the enemy. Right. <laughs> so it was funny because every time I would go to lunch at the, in, in the cafeteria at Xerox, I would go sit at the lunch table with everyone, and they would get up and leave and go to another table like mean girls in high school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, so I ended up getting a position. And I was overseeing 85 salespeople, and, um, you know, I just, I just didn't like it. What I didn't like about it is I really wasn't meeting with the clients. I wasn't solving customer problems. You know, um, I was just really managing 85 unruly salespeople that weren't listening. Plus, the problem with corporate America, especially Xerox, is... You have a meeting to schedule a meeting to schedule another meeting. Right. And I felt like I was spending my entire day in meetings and not really accomplishing anything. Right. But, you know, it was, I had, it was a six-figure um, salary plus benefits. Um, but I missed entrepreneurship, so I started looking outside and stumbled across a franchise but one of the owners knew, again, my husband. My husband, I guess, knows everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I approached him and asked him about buying a franchise. And they said, no, we know of you. We know of your history. We know of your sales ability. We don't want you to buy a franchise. We want you to become our partner, and we'll give you a franchise. And I said, well, wait a minute. You only have two locations. You haven't been successful. I don't know if I want to jump off this cliff without a parachute and leave my six-figure career with these great benefits for something that may never pan out. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Let's try it out for six months. So I said, I'm going to keep my day job. Evenings and weekends, I'll, um, we'll, I'll participate at trade shows. I'll put on events you know, to sell franchises. We'll see how it goes. So in six months, I made more money than I did an entire year at Xerox. 
Wow. And I decided to go ahead and take the leap and leave Xerox six months after I was promoted in that position. Wow. What so, was the fran- what was can I ask what the franchise was? I don't want to say the name because okay, that's cool. that's fine. it ended up becoming um yeah, it ended up um it not ending well. Um because what happened was I sold hundreds of franchises and this is what happens to companies is they grow really, really fast and then mm-hmm. they don't build a solid foundation uh. in which to be able to to um, sustain that growth. So they were over-promising and under-delivering, and I was friends with my franchisees. I mean, these, you know, I, went, I was in their wedding. I went to their wedding. I went to Jamaica for one wedding. I was going to the hospitals when they, you know, birthed their baby. I was going to their birthday parties, their anniversary parties, everything. Right. I, you know, and when I would, would um, fly into town, I would stay at their house. So it got to be extremely un- uncomfortable for me because I'm the opposite. I like to underpromise and overdeliver. Right. And I like to take care of my clients. Well, then I was put in the middle because the franchisor wants me to take their side. I'm going to always take the client side, mm-hmm. <laughs> the franchisee side. Right. And that's what I did, and, and it just got to be, you know, really chaotic and, you know, miserable. And I stopped selling franchises because I said, well, I'm not going to sell anymore. You can't handle the ones you got. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I wasn't just doing sales. I was doing the franchise development. I was um, also doing um, the locations, you know, uh, uh, scoping out the locations, doing the due diligence. Uh, making sure that we put them in the right location. I was doing the build-out, not doing the build-out, but organizing the build-out, and, um, you know, ordering the equipment, the inventory, uh, dealing with staffing. I mean, I wasn't just selling. I was doing everything to set that franchise up for success. Right. So I ended up having them buy me out, and then that's when I transitioned into into um, selling businesses. So I transitioned into selling you know, small businesses in the beginning, like restaurants, and I, I already knew about selling franchises, but those were startup franchises. So what I had to do is now learn how to sell existing businesses. Right. So I was selling small businesses, and then I very quickly started transitioning into large businesses, and now we sell businesses $10 million and up. But the other thing that I learned very quickly is eight out of 10 businesses won't sell, and that's according to Steve Forbes, and that's the truth. And they don't sell for a multitude of reasons. And so then I said, well, gosh, if I don't fix these businesses, (laughs) if I don't help grow these businesses and build them to sell, I'm going to starve to death. Right. So then I started focusing on on growing, fixing and growing and building to sell. And so now I don't just sell businesses. I partner with business owners. I invest my money, my expertise, my resources, and put them on a build-to-sell program. And then I've also bought companies and flipped businesses. Wow. So that's kind of the history, how I got into it. I've been selling companies for 20 years now, and um, I personally have sold over 500. My company has sold over 1,000. So you're, so you're um, that's really fascinating, and I appreciate that. Thank you for that, because I think it, it's it's great. It gives you a little background and, and uh, humanizes it, and so it's not, you're obviously doing it, but you've got such a nice history you know you've been in the mix you know you've had your hands dirty you've you know from from managing people and selling and and so that's really really neat to see i wonder when you are doing this or when when you are you're so you're pretty selective it sounds like so 
you're not just saying, hey, let me go find businesses to sell and flip them. You're actually, you, you've taken a personal stake in these businesses. And, and that's different than a lot of people, right? Yes, absolutely. Now, I, I do sell businesses that I don't take a personal stake in. But yes, I do. Um, if I'm going to partner with a business, I do take a personal stake. I do take equity in the business. I am investing my money. Um, so I want to make sure it's going to be a home run. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, so and I, that makes it I valuable. don't do that with everybody. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and I'm sure even the ones that you don't take, I mean, that, that, that allows you to be in the mix and probably gives you a better perspective of even when you're trying to sell businesses that you don't have a, a, an equity stake in. Meaning, you, you know, you, you've got skin in the game somewhere and that makes you more thoughtful, I suppose, for selling any business at that point, right? Yeah, it really does because unlike my, um, unlike my peers, um, I'm a mergers and acquisitions master intermediary, a senior business analyst, and a bunch of other stuff. And unlike my peers, they all charge retainer fees, you know, 5000 a month, 10000 a month, 60000 up front. I don't charge retainer fees, so I definitely have skin in the game. I'm invested. Um, if I don't think I can sell the business, I'm not going to take the engagement because, you know, I'm investing my money, so I would have to be able to make sure that I can recoup my investment. Right, right. Well, so now, so after doing this and being successful, and I, and again, I really appreciate it. It's a really good story and 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 a little history. Um, so, what what prompted you to write the book? This is actually my third book. Um, I wrote my first book in 2013 called "Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth," and um, I and then I wrote "Exit Rich" in 2019. That's coming out soon. What prompted me to write a second book on selling your business is because so many businesses will not sell. And the business landscape has changed dramatically. It used to be in 2013 when I wrote Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth that I did the research and learned that 85 to 95% of startups, one to five years, would go out of business, right? Mm -hmm. We all know that. That's common knowledge. However, when I wrote Exit Rich and did the same research, I realized it's not 85 to 95% of businesses will go out of business. It's only 30% of startups are at risk now. So those businesses, one to five years, only 30% of those businesses will go out of business. But listen to this. The business landscape has changed dramatically. Now, business out of 27.6 million companies, businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, 70% of those businesses will go out of business. Wow. You hear about the big box public store, public stories all the time. Like you've heard about Toys R Us went out of business. Kmart, JCPenney, Steinmart, GNC just closed down 900 locations. And the list goes on and on. But you're not hearing about the private companies on every street corner, in every city, in every state, across our great nation. These businesses are dropping like flies. And that was before COVID. So... This unfortunately leaves these owners for to have to sell for pennies on the dollar, or close their business, or even worse, have to file for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And when you file for bankruptcy, you don't only lose your business assets, but you also lose your personal assets because most business owners commingle their assets. They take out a personal guarantee, they send personal guarantees, they take out a loan against their house, which pierces the corporate veil. So. That was the main reason is because so many businesses are failing 
and I really wanted to to write a book not just about selling your company, but more about building a sustainable, scalable business that when you're ready, it is sellable. Because here's what happens. Most business owners never plan their exit. They don't think about selling until they have to due to an internal or external catastrophic event. And when that happens, it's typically too late to sell the business because the business is turning downward. Right. So I really wanted to help business owners. You know, there's 30.2 million businesses in the United States employing over half the U.S. workforce. So small business is the backbone of our economy. If we don't save small business, then we lose jobs. And the economy, you know, is, is, is kaput. <laughs> I, no, I hear you. I, look, I mean, you're pre- preaching to the choir. And I and, and not only, you know, am I in that world? I mean, I, I mean, the, the, the industry that, you know, we, we obviously, you know, this magazine, Canvas magazine, goes out to the... Um, uh, printing and marketing services community, and so you, you you've got a little you've dabbled obviously in that you're kind of close to that. Uh, the Ose is right. is uh, is now the Canon. They're they're a really wonderful sponsor of ours, and um, and so you can imagine that this industry is right in that strike zone that you were just talking about, right? There, there's a lot of them mm-hmm. that um, prior to COVID were. Do, thinking, do I, you know, how do I get out? You know, what's their exit strategy? And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. But, but before before we dive into that, tell me why. I mean, I, obviously, COVID has devastated a lot of people, and and that's just a different animal altogether. But but so fascinating to hear you talk about the fact that seventy percent of these people are uh, over ten years are going out of business prior to COVID. Why are they going out of business? So that's that's a great question. That's and and here's the reason why. So business owners have been in business for ten years or longer. They stop doing what I call aim, and aim a i m means to always innovate and always market. These business owners become complacent. The way they've done business in the past is the way they still do business. I mean, Toys R Us went out of business because Toys R Us never innovated in 60 years. Toys R Us built the concept on the grocery store model where you stack toys really, really high, like you stack food really, really high, and they never, ever changed anything. Just like Blockbuster. Blockbuster saw Netflix. They saw the writing on the wall. They knew Netflix was coming in, but they sat back fat and happy. They made zero changes. So these business owners become very complacent, and they stop innovating, and they stop marketing. They stop asking their clients, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with me? Because the the business the, the businesses that make it easiest for the consumer to do business with them is the one who's going to win. Amazon is winning because they make it so simple for you to do business with them. You can practically order anything off of Amazon and have it delivered to you within two to three days. Mm-hmm. So why why fight the grocery stores? Why to go to the grocery store? Why go to the mall? You know when you can just order from home. And that's what business owners stop doing. They stop innovating and they stop asking their clients, what do you need? How can I make this experience more enjoyable? What can I provide to you, you know, in order to keep your business? Right, right. And a lot of these business owners too, they've been in business for so long that their customers age out. Right. At some point you have to replace your client base. Exactly. <laughs> and then 
And then consumers don't do business the way they used to. You know, before COVID, consumers had changed their buying habits, and you can thank Amazon for that. After COVID, buyers have really changed their, 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 um, the way that they buy because nobody wants to go to the grocery store anymore. Nobody wants to be around people and perhaps, you know, get COVID. So business owners really need to be looking at their business and asking themselves, what business am I in and what business should I be in? You know, I'll give you a couple of examples to illustrate that point. Um, Ray Crockett. Did you remember the? Did you ever watch the movie The Founder? Uh, the McDonald's the, story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. Do you remember when Ray Crockett went into the bank to borrow money because he was already upside down? He already took out a business loan and mortgaged his home, piercing his corporate veil. <laughs> right. Do you remember when he was in the bank trying to borrow money? And they, the banker said, "You're already over leveraged." Do you right, remember that? Right. He walked outside of the bank. And a gentleman followed him out, and he said, I'm sorry, sir, I overheard your entire conversation, but I, but I think I might be able to help you. He said, what business are you in? And Ray, Cro- Ray Crockett said, I'm in the restaurant business. He goes, no, what business are you in? He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm in the restaurant business. And he said, well, what business should you be in? And Ray goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. He says, you need to be in the real estate business. Because if you're in a real estate business, you go and you purchase this land, you build McDonald's, you lease to the franchisee. If the franchisee is not compliant, then you cancel the franchise agreement, you get another franchisee in there. So now you you have assets that you can borrow against. His other big problem was that franchisees were not compliant. Now you can get rid of them. That one question alone is the reason why McDonald's is the largest real estate holding company in the world. Right. That one question. Here's another example. Amazon started out selling books, right? Mm-hmm. They asked themselves, what business are we in? What business should we be in? They said, well, we're in the book business. And then Jeff Bezos said, well, what do we do really, really well? What do we do better than anyone else? We do fulfillment really well, probably better than anyone else. So let's be in a fulfillment business and expand what we sell. That one question alone is what made Amazon what it is today. Same thing with Steve Jobs when he came back to Apple and Apple was losing money. He asked Apple, what business are we in? And they said, well, we're in a computer business. He goes, no, that's not the business we're in. What business should we be in? And they said, I don't know. And he said, we need to be in a communications business. Right. Where everybody is connected. Right. With a phone in their pocket. Right. And that's how the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod, everything I was created. So all business owners should be asking themselves, what business am I in? What business should I be in? And they should innovate. If you don't innovate, you're either growing or dying. If you don't innovate, you're going to be put out of business. Right. Well, I mean, that's fascinating stuff, Michelle, I, because I think we've talked a lot about that. We've written a lot about it, and, and it's just so nice to hear it from, from you and, and because, you know, you've, you've seen this, you've written this book, you've, ta- you know, you've, you've not only been involved in a lot of businesses, you've talked a lot about, it, you know, with a lot of businesses. I, I think that's just amazing because 
I do see that. I see our industry. There's some people who are just trying to get to the end. You know, their motivation maybe has slowed. Maybe they've gotten complacent again prior to COVID. I think that your message around the buyer is remarkable because I believe in that passionately. I believe that we were. I believe we were in an epidemic prior to this whole COVID thing. I watched this recent movie about uh, or documentary called um, The Social Dilemma. And it is, it, it's remarkable, right? And, and right. part of that, it, 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 you know, we've, we've lost our way in some respects, but clearly the influences and, and, and the buyers were already at a distance. You know, it was already hard. I mean, you know, you're someone who's always dealt with people, but look, live interaction was already way down. And now, obviously, it's even more. And so for you to sit there and talk about innovation and marketing is is really critically important because, you you know, you can't innovate unless you have a relationship with the, the marketplace, right? You can't, you can't possibly create new things and do new things unless you have some sort of conversation and relationship with the market with the marketplace and so and how do you do that at a distance now so it's kind of remarkable that you know you write a book and that's why I was so taken with this idea this this book because you know you were you you know you're talking about how to sell your business for a huge profit but the reality is it goes all the way back to a mindset i mean it starts from day 1 and and so you 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 talk a little bit about why you know small business owners and entrepreneurs should be thinking about an exit strategy from day one, don't you? I, I do, and I really feel I know that that is the biggest mistake that business owners make is they don't think about their exit. They don't plan their exit, and you know it's 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 the it's so odd to me because think about it. We plan everything else in our life. Do you have kids? I do. And did you and your wife plan where they're going to go to preschool, where they're going to go to elementary, where they're going to go to high school, where they're going to go to college, who they're going to marry, how many kids? I mean, yes, you love to plan out all of that, but you plan out most of what you could, right? Right. So us as parents plan for our kids' future, but our most valuable asset, our business, we never really think about the exit. We just are so stuck in the day-to-day and working in the business instead of on the business that nobody really thinks about the exit. So it's your most valuable asset. You have to plan the exit. And in Exit Rich, I really go into great detail about the ST GPS exit model, which is Seller Tucker GPS exit model. It's like anytime you drive somewhere, what do you do? You pull out your GPS, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And your GPS knows where you're starting from. You put your destination in. Same thing with a business. You need to plan your end game. So if you go into business and say, okay, I want to sell my business for $10 million. I want to sell my business for $10 million. That's my destination. But you need to figure out where are you starting from? What is your current valuation today? If your current valuation is $5 million and you want to get to $10 million, then you need to determine your time frame. So your time frame, say, five years to get to a $10 million company in five years. Then you need to um, determine who's going to be your buyer. There's five different types of buyers. So who's going to be your buyer? And what is their buying criteria? So let's say you have a manufacturing business. You want to sell for $10 million in five years. You're at $5 million. Who buys manufacturing companies? Well, most first-time buyers are not going to buy a manufacturing business for $10 million because they can't afford it. 
but private equity groups will, and so, so will strategic competitors and sophisticated buyers. So you need to ask yourself, okay, these buyers that are looking at these type of businesses, where does the gross revenue have to be? Where does the COGS have to be? What profit margin do I need to operate at? Most importantly, where does my EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization need to be? And what does my company need to look like as far as running all six cylinders, what I call in exit rich all six P's? Right. So if business owners can start to plan out that GPS exit, you'll see a lot more business owners selling for their desired price tag and exiting rich instead of exiting poor. Right. Right. Well, you you know you touched upon a few things in the book, and I you know I don't want you to give the uh, give it all away because we want people to uh, to grab it. I know it comes out in January, but you mentioned those six P's, and maybe you can give us a little high level of that because I thought that was really compelling. In fact, even looking at my business, I thought um, it was interesting because if you're deficient in any one of them, you got to be a little bit more objective, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely kind of, right, and 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 um and that's interesting because I mean a lot of us might be deficient in a whole bunch of them. So that, that <laughs> I mean honestly, I mean, and so you know you got to go back and you got to look at this stuff because you know, and and you mentioned in the book, hey, it takes a couple of years to sell a business in in general, and so maybe these are the places that people need to focus. So, so, you know, can you talk a little bit about these six P's that, that of need to, to, yeah, that'd be great. Okay. And, and yes, you are correct though about the book coming out in January, but just so your listeners know, they can purchase the book now at exitrichbook.com. Oh, cool. And at the end of the show, I can tell your listeners how to purchase the book and what they get, what the extra value, additional value that they will receive if they pre-order the book. All right, we'll do shameless plug at the end. All right, love it. Shameless plug. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so this, so the six Ps. So when I go in and look at a business, and when my buyers look at a business, they all look at the six Ps. Number one is people. Mm. You can't have a business without people. You don't build a business. You build people, and people build the business. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the right people in the right seat. And you have to ask yourself, who? Who in my business opens the doors? Who in my business handles customer service issues? Who in my business handles accounting? Who in my business? And it goes on and on and on and on. And you should never put your name next to the who because you want to build a business that's not dependent upon you. So you need a who in your business, so you need a person that can handle one seat or multiple seats in your business, and you should never put your name next to that who. So very important to have tenured employees and a management team in place, especially if you have a larger company. Buyers want to make sure there's a chief operating officer in place, there's a chief financial operator. They want to make sure that there's a management, senior level management in that company before they purchase the business. Right. So number one is people, the mo- you know, one of the most important piece. Number two is product. You gotta ask yourself, is your product, is your industry on the way up or on the way out? Are you thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a blockbuster? Mm-hmm. And if you have a blockbuster, that doesn't mean lay down and die. <laughs> that doesn't mean go out of business. That means you need to take. You need to ask yourself, what business are you in? What business should you be in? And t- and pivot, and then take massive action 
to make sure that you get in an industry that's thriving. And that could be by acquiring congruent revenue streams, um, acquiring uh, congruent revenue products, you know, uh, maybe even merging with another business. There's all kinds of different ways that you can pivot if you're in a dying industry. Number three is processes. Now, processes is typically never developed at the beginning of the company. It's developed out of necessity because, you know, customer complaints, issues with production, issues in manufacturing, etc. However, that's the wrong way to develop processes. Processes should always be developed from the beginning and developed with the customer experience in mind. So let me explain. You watched the movie The Founder. Mm -hmm. Do you remember when the McDonald brothers Mm -hmm. went to empty tennis court, took all their employees, drew out the process on the tennis court, and practiced? Who's going to take the order? Hmm. Who's going to toast the buns? Who's going to cook the burger? Who's going to put the pickles on the bun? Who's going to deliver it to the client? Because back in the 50s, they only had like the sonic type businesses where you drive in and, you know, um, uh, waitresses, waiters were on roller skates. They bring the food. But the problem back in those days is the order was never right. <laughs> the food was cold and it took forever. So McDonald's, you know, brand mission was to deliver quality food in a very quick time, quicker than anyone else. Mm-hmm. So they knew what their mission was. They need to develop the processes with that customer experience in mind that the outcome would be the customer would get great tasting food, quality food, in a quick period of time. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's processes. But I'm telling you, a lot of businesses develop their processes and they never take the customer experience in mind and their processes cause customer dissatisfaction. It causes their customers to be so upset with the outcome that they go and tell everybody else what a bad experience they had and that's why businesses go out of business. So your processes should always be productive, efficient, designed with the customer experience in mind and documented. I can't even begin to tell you how many companies don't have policy procedure manuals or don't have SOPs, standard operating procedures. They don't have employee handbooks. All of that stuff needs to be in order. Otherwise, the deal will stop in due diligence and a buyer won't buy the business. So I work with my clients to make sure that they build those policy and procedure manuals, those SOPs, and that all the employees have signed off on it. Right. The fourth P which is probably one of the most value drivers, is proprietary. And there are six pillars of proprietary. Right. Number one in proprietary is branding. The more well-branded your business is, as long as your business is still relevant in the mind of the consumers, then the higher price tag you will get for your business. Let me give you an example. Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. The brand's not worth that much. They're all out of business, right? Right. But Coca-Cola brand that is in business, brand is worth $89 billion. That's without assets, without inventory, without cash flow, without anything. Why? Because no matter how much money you make, no matter where you live, no matter what language you speak, everybody knows one name, Coke. Right. $89 billion. Here's another big brand. The biggest brand, Apple. $380 billion. Right. Huge. 
So branding is huge. Another va- and another value driver in proprietary is trademarks. One of the biggest mistakes I see business owners make is they get a state trademark for their business. They don't go to make sure they don't go to the government side to make sure that that business name is available. So they start their business, they print their business cards, they do all this stuff, and they never get a federal trademark. I've seen clients spend hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to protect their corporate name and end up losing and have to change their company name after being in business for years. So you must get a federal trademark on your business name, on your slogan, on anything else that is really your claim to fame. It's like me. I've got I've registered Exit Rich. I've registered the Solid Tucker uh, uh, GPS Exit Model, the FT6Ps. So you got to make sure you get that federal trademark. And then patents. Patents are another huge value driver. So if you have something that's really unique, get it patented. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's a huge value driver is contracts. Right. You should always have, if you're a manufacturer, have a manufacturing contract. I can't even begin to tell you how many manufacturers manufacture in China. There is no contract. There is no backup plan. If they lose that manufacturer in China, they could literally be out of business. So manufacturer contracts, distributor contracts, vendor contracts. The most valuable agreements that you can have are client agreements. Because when a business, let's say a commercial real estate company um, that we're selling, they have probably 200, 300 contracts with their corporate accounts, hotels, restaurants, etc. Now, here's the biggest mistake that business owners make. 99% of, 99.9% of business owners never add the two-sentence transferability clause to their contract. Hmm. And because 99% of all sales are asset sales and not stock sales, that business could stop dead, that sale could stop dead in its tracks because those contracts are not transferable. Hmm. So, if you haven't listened to anything I've said, go get that two-sentence transferability clause in your contract. Right, right. The other valuable thing in proprietary is, let's say you have an e-commerce business, and you sell home goods, and you have one of the number one spots on Wayfair. Or you have a niche product that you're selling, and you've cornered the market on Amazon. Or you have a skincare company, and Glenn Beck is promoting it for you, or some other celebrity is promoting it for you. That is prime business real estate that has tremendous value associated with right. it. And then one other one other thing in, in proprietary is databases. Yeah. Databases are typically overlooked and undervalued, but Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp, and WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money, but guess what they had? They had a billion users. And Facebook knew they could monetize and get an, a return on their investment. So therefore, they purchased WhatsApp for $19 billion. So look at your database and ask yourself, can I retarget my database? Is it retargetable? Is it, can it be repurposed? Because that is a huge value driver. Mm-hmm. And you've got to make sure that you align yourself with an expert to help you put a value on these assets. And then the fifth P is patrons. So we can't be in business without clients, right? right. Everybody has to. Be, have clients, no clients, no business, and that's what that's why all these businesses are failing because they're losing consumers. So you gotta look at your business and ask yourself to have customer concentration or customer diversification. If sixty percent of your revenue is tied up in a few clients and you lose one or two of those clients, it can literally put you out of business. So 
Customer diversification is huge. The other thing is if your business is aging out, you're going to have to replace those customers. Right, okay? right. The last P and the most important P is profit. We all want to make money. We're all in business to make profit. But I will tell you, profit is never, ever the problem. It is always the symptom of not operating on one of the other five Ps. If you don't have the right people in the right seat, then you are going to lose money. Right. That's simple. If you are in a product that's dying and not thriving, you're going to lose money. If your processes are not efficient and productive and they do not develop, they do not um, have, they do not have the customer experience in mind and they are upsetting customers instead of making customers happy, you're going to lose money. If you haven't protected your IP or intellectual property, you're going to lose money. So profits is never the problem. It's the symptom. Right, right. That's interesting. I, I mean, I think that's so, uh, you know, I, it, it's so amazing and I, I was so taken with it because it, it sets things up. People don't think about this, right? I mean, they, they get to that 10-year itch or whatever and they go, I want to sell my business, but they haven't gone back and it, and it gives them kind of a platform to be objective about, holy smokes, I really, you know, I, I may be overvaluing or, or what I've got here because I, I've got, I'm deficient in some of these areas. So that's a really, really neat platform. I, I want to ask you, because um, I don't want to take up too much time, but I want to ask you a little bit about the buyers because you, you briefly mentioned the five buyers and, um, and then I want to finish up with it just with kind of the mindset that people need to get into and maybe your advice, but um, can you speak to, to like an overview of the, the buyers that are out there? I mean, again, this industry is, is they're all kind of looking, you know, what's the next step. And, 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 um, and so now they've got this background to say, here's how I objectively look at it, but who are those people that they might be trying to attract? So there's, there's five different types of buyers and we discuss this in great detail in exit rich. Um, the, the majority of buyers are, are first-time buyers. 90% of buyers are typically first-time buyers. First-time buyers are very slow to pull the trigger. Uh, they are nervous. They're uncomfortable, you know, and many of them will not pull the trigger unless they have a powerful why that makes them move forward and buy a business. So, And those buyers are buying smaller businesses. Then the second type of buyers, PEGs, I call them PEGs, which are private equity groups. Okay. And private equity groups buy two ways. They buy based on platforms and add-ons, and I'll explain that real quick. Okay. So let's say a private equity group wants to get into food manufacturing, and they're going to go look at food manufacturing companies. They won't even look at a food manufacturing company unless its EBITDA is over $3 million. $3 million, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and then let's say that, so that's a platform, that's called a platform, that they are entering in an industry that they've never been in. But they will not consider that industry under $3 million EBITDA. So let's say an add-on, let's say they're already in the food manufacturing industry, and they want to add on a hot sauce business, mm-hmm. or a frozen food packaging business. They'll look at those type of add-ons under a $1 million in EBITDA. So those are the two ways they buy. Um, private equity groups look at hundreds and hundreds of businesses a year, and you know they might buy anywhere from five to, to 20 a year. And then you have your strategics and your competitors. Strategics are, let's say, a, uh, let's say you're in the heating business, heating AC business, 
but you also want to get into plumbing, right? Because it's congruent. Mm-hmm. It's strategic. So that would be an example of a strategic buyer or a competitor. Now, what's nice about strategics and competitors is they buy synergies. Right. And they're willing to pay more money for synergies, just like Facebook was willing to pay more money for a database of a billion users. Mm-hmm. Competitors and strategics, they'll pay more for the right team. They'll pay more for a certain contract. They'll pay more for brand, uh, a company that's well-branded or database or um, business real estate because they want to be number one on, on Wayfair. So what we do is we really find the synergies in our clients' business, and then we know what buyers to go get for that business. Okay. So those are competitive strategics. Then you have sophisticated serial entrepreneurs. These buyers are industry agnostic. They're more EBITDA-specific. And, you know, I've had serial entrepreneurs that have, have had trucking companies, construction, healthcare, all over the map. Um, they're pretty quick to pull the trigger. They know what they want. They're non-emotional. The only type of buyer that's really emotional would be the first-time buyer. Pegs are not emotional. Strategic and competitors, sometimes they are emotional because if if, if the purchase of this company really, really means a lot to them, meaning that it could catapult their business to the next level, they can somewhat become a little emotional. Um, But sophisticated typically are not. It's all about the money. It's all about, you know, is, it, is money there. Mm-hmm. And then the last type of buyer is turnaround specialists. These are buyers that go in and buy underperforming assets. And right now, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of underperforming assets for them to buy. Right. Turn them around and then flip them. So depending upon the buyer, I'll talk about an exit rich, there's different negotiating techniques for each one of those buyers, and there's different hot buttons for each one of those buyers and different um, things that, that some of these buyers will not do or will not buy a company without. Right. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll leave that for them to read the book. I think that's that's uh, it's really good. I, I, no, listen, I I think it's just fantastic. I, like I said, I'm I I was really taken with this because a lot of our industry talks about it, but it's it's got a lot of business sense to it too, and it, it is, it's it's not just this idea of selling your business. Your your concepts and ideas help you run the business too. You know, it's kind of that that GPS thing idea that you were talking about. And so, let me before I let you do shameless plug, let's do. Um, uh, <laughs> tell me about your advice to people right now, and to get into this mindset because it is a mindset, and you reference that that they've got to find this mindset. And so, how? What what advice do you have for for uh, our community to, you know, if you, if you had to leave them with anything? Sure. Oh, you're, you're, and I hope I've left them with a lot so far. But <laughs> you've left them with a ton, a ton, right? But we got to leave them. We got to we, we got to leave them wanting a little bit too. We got to so so they yeah. go grab this book. I think one of the biggest things that people that, that business people entrepreneurs need to to make a mental shift is to go from transactional to transformational. Mm. Hmm. Transactional to transformational, and let me explain what I mean by that. Transactional is you get up every day, you go to your office, you go to your business, you do the same thing every day, you're putting out fires, you're wearing all these different hats, you're stuck in your business, and you're not thinking about your business, you're not working on your business from a thousand foot view. Transformational is when you start asking those questions. 
Right. You know, you can always tell the intelligence of a person by the questions they ask. And a lot of times we just need to ask better questions. Right. So that's when transformational is when you get in there and you go, you know what, what kind of business am I in? What type of business should I be in? Right. That's a transformational question. So you got to get unstuck. So many business owners are just stuck. And, and, you know, they're just stuck in the madness. They're stuck in the chaos. And it's hard to see. When, when you're in the fog, it's foggy, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and you really need, you know, my, my favorite quote that I came up with a long time ago is you, you really need, a, you know, it's hard to read the label from the inside of a bottle. You need an outsider's perspective to read the warning signs and keep you out of the danger zone. Right, right. So my biggest piece of advice is to get unstuck, become transformational instead of transactional. You've got to do things really different than you've ever done them before because the business landscape has changed so much and it's going to continue to change. Right. Yeah. Well, so I, there's opportunity all around us, but people just miss it because they're stuck. Yeah. No, I love that. Hard to read the label from inside the bottle. I'm taking copious notes, just so you know, because it's not just for the uh, community. I, I've got, I'm not kidding you, I've, been, I've, got, I've got a page full here. So um, it's really good stuff. I'm so happy that we uh, connected because I think it's important. I think it's a, um, it's a positive message too, which we, we need. Um, and, and, you know, it's this, the, that's the beauty of this book, Exit Rich, is that it's not, um, hey, oh, here's, you know, it's not just some uh, blueprint for how to go about a transaction of selling your business. This is actually um, cathartic in some ways. And that's, that's what struck me about it. So um, I just can't thank you enough for, for taking some time. So, all right, do give, give us some info about the book, how they can get it, what the extra value is, all that kind of stuff. Okay, great. So first of all, I do want to tell you, because I'm not sure if, you, if you're aware of this, uh, my co-author of Exit Rich is Sharon Lecter. Okay. And Sharon Lecter wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. She's oh, been New York Times bestseller, I think, four, four times. Oh, yeah. She's also written several books in the Napoleon Hill Foundation, Think and Go Rich. She wrote Outwitting the Devil, um, I think Rich Women, and all kinds of other books. So Sharon is a CPA. And she's a financial literacy expert. She has um, been an advisor to several different presidents, and her husband is a intellectual attorney. Oh, wow. So what's great about Exit Rich is you have a book that was written from me, a mergers and acquisitions master intermediary that's been in the trenches for over 20 years. It's done over a thousand transactions, um, and partner with business owners and own businesses and bought businesses and flip businesses, you have her perspective in the mentor's corner, and she's giving you a perspective from the accounting side, from the financial literacy side. So it's really good because you see the two different perspectives. Even though we are aligned, it's really good because you get her perspective and you get her husband who's an intellectual property attorney's perspective. Right. And... What else is great about the book, too, that I just wanted to mention, is we have so many facts at the end of every chapter called Did You Know? Right. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and it is, 
Yeah, and those are just like mind-boggling. Like, did you know 70% of businesses are going out of business after being in business 10 years? Yeah. I guarantee you nobody knows that. Right. Nobody knows that. That blew me away. So, so it, it's a great book for anyone who owns a business or wants to own a business. So I highly encourage everyone to go pick up Exit Rich. And we're in pre-sale right now. So if you go and buy Exit Rich for $24.79, that's less expensive than what you can buy on Amazon or Hudson or Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, any other bookstore. Every other bookstore is $27.97. If you buy it at ExitRichBook.com, that's ExitRichBook.com for $24.79, that includes shipping. Okay. You will immediately receive a digital download so you can start reading it today. Plus, you will receive a lifetime membership into Exit Rich Book Club which is loaded with training videos from me going in, doing deep dives into these different techniques and strategies that we've been talking about here today. Cool. Plus, we have document downloads. So if you've never seen an employee handbook or an organizational chart or maybe a due diligence checklist, or you might say, gosh, what does a letter of intent even look like? What's the purchase agreement look like? What do closing documents look like? It's all there. Oh, wow. So everything you need to be in business or sell a business is there in the in the book membership club. Wow. Plus, you receive a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs, Club CEOs, which is a membership I started to bring entrepreneurs together where we bounce ideas off of each other, we do hot seats, we do Q&As, and masterminds. So you also will receive that. And then when the book gets printed and comes out in January, we will ship it to your doorstep. All for twenty four seventy nine. Seriously? That's Seriously, yep. And we even have we even have um, when you go to exitrichbook.com, if you say, you know what, I am part of a mastermind or I'm part of an organization with a bunch of business owners or an industry with a bunch of business owners, we even have it where if you buy ten books, you get uh, a two hour consultation with me. You, if you buy 20 books, you get a two-hour consultation and my built-to-sell course. If you buy so many books, you get that plus Sharon Lecter's Money Masters course. So we have bulk orders as well where you can donate the books, you can buy them for your organization, and you get even more value for bulk purchases. Wow. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, probably, uh, I'll probably be in on that. I know, I mean, I mean, I know um, certainly our readers, we have a lot of clients too, and I do that. I, I, you know, they all get tired of me buying them books, but um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to need to talk to you about that. I, this is amazing. So um, pretty cool because I, 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 like I said, when you first think about it, you're thinking, oh, here's, you know, here's a book about trying to get rid of it. It's not a blueprint. It's, it's uh Gosh, it's more of a mindset, and I didn't realize that you had all this other stuff. So that's super, super cool, and um, I'm just so thrilled that I was able to connect with you. And, and uh, I'm I'm even more excited that I get to share this with uh, with our readership. So um, I, I think it's fantastic. And, and uh, with your permission, uh, I'm going to stay in touch. Maybe maybe hook Absolutely. up with you again. Absolutely, you know, and whatever you can do to help me and Sharon, we're trying to make the New York Times bestsellers list, but, I mean, we even have a program where if somebody buys 500 books, we have a mastermind retreat at Sharon's Ranch in Arizona. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Well, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this with uh, you know some people. So they're gonna be, um, it's gonna be interesting. I think this is great, Michelle, and I just can't uh, thank you enough for taking some of the time and. Um, and it's just a really, really thoughtful book and, and timely, very timely. So I, I appreciate it. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to staying in touch and see what kind of magic we can create together. You got it. All right, Michelle, listen, be safe and uh, best of luck. I'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. All right, Have a take, good day. You too. Take care. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michelle Seiler Tucker. I think you'll agree she's got a lot of energy and I thought her perspective was pretty, pretty cool because she's been in the mix. You know, she's sold, she's managed people, she's been in executive positions, she's sold businesses that she had skin in the game with, she's talking to lots of clients, she's got a lot of history and now she's written this book and she's partnered up with thoughtful people to, to get this book out. I thought her perspective was really, really unique because it wasn't just this blueprint, if you will, for how to sell your business. It was a mindset. And it was a mindset that can help us all run our businesses with some, some end result in mind. It's kind of like living your life with what they want to write on your headstone. And so she had a lot of enthusiasm. That's needed right now more than ever. She's got a great mindset and platform for all of us to, to manage our businesses, especially in this confusing time, or as she calls it, this foggy time. So my thanks to Michelle for taking the time. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Please check out her book, Exit Rich. It will be out in full version in January, but you can go to exitrichbook.com and get a whole bunch of value that she talked about at the end. A reminder that this podcast, Brushstrokes, which is powered by Canvas Magazine, was brought to you by Conduit Incorporated. Conduit-inc.com for all your custom content needs. Guys, it's important that we engage at a distance. Live in-person meeting is dead and buried right now. Hopefully it comes back soon, but at some point you have to determine how to build trust, how to engage with the community and do the things that Michelle kind of talked about. How do you innovate if unless you're talking to clients? How do you market yourself unless you're putting the vibe out there? What we do is we help you do that. Custom content is, is incredibly important right now. So visit us at www.conduit-inc.com for all your custom content needs. I can't thank you all enough for listening. I can't thank Michelle enough. Uh, for taking the time. I am wishing you just nothing but hope in this weird, weird time. I think good things are on the horizon. I think we're going to get past all the ugliness and it's time to re-engage, put smiles on our face, be kind to one another and push forward. As always, we need to be the buffalo. Thanks for listening.